another episode of Dangerous Games Part 2 because I already did this intro and didn't record it. I am Courtney and I am from Reckless Cards and joined today by my beautiful, stunning, gorgeous, wonderful, gets more like young looking. Like she looks younger every day. I don't know what she's doing. She what are you perfect. on? Do you um, see the gray hair that my kids give me? My, my co-host... <laughs> The original Hello. Mrs. Breaker. I color my hair, guys. You got to get on that train. I color my hair, too. Sarah. And you you might have heard, like, a deep voice if you're listening. And if you're watching, you're seeing a tall drink of handsome joining us tonight. And this is John from Break and Wax. He is Mr. Steal Your Woman, so you better watch out. But he's happily married, so you're lucky. How are you doing today, Don? I'm good. Good morning or good evening for you guys. But I'm, I'm good. Too. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. Um, I know I was asking you guys to come on my podcast, and then here I am on your podcast. So, hey, it's, it's all in it's all in the family. We are we are all big supporters of your podcast, and I love watching it. So, if you like sports cards, if you like sports, if you just like you know, you like drama, handsome men. I don't have any drama. <laughs> <laughs> Go join. No, we have we have the drama here, but not our drama. Other people. Yeah. Yeah. So Don is um he is far far away, and it is early in the morning, and he has things to do after this. So we're gonna dive right into this case because it is a big, thick, juicy case. It is long. There is a lot of t- uh, twists and turns to it, and I don't want to hold him up, and. I don't want to make you guys listen to us jabber for like an hour before we even get into the case because I know sometimes that's frustrating. But um, today's case is you're going to be listening and you're going to be like, what does this have to do with sports crime? I don't get this. This doesn't seem like a sports crime case. It's sort of not, but it will make sense when we get to the end of this. So just stick around. Today's case is probably one of the most famous true crime in America cases uh, in, in modern era. It is the Menendez brothers. Most people have heard of this case. Most people know who the Menendez brothers are, but um, a lot of people don't know how deep and crazy this story kind of got. And how many people still think that these boys should, men, they're men, should not be in prison. We're going to dive right in. Are you guys ready for this? I'm ready. All right. My seatbelt's on. <laughs> you should strap in. It's crazy. <laughs> Unlike other famous American crime cases, there isn't any question at all about who killed Kitty and Jose Menendez. The brothers admitted to brutally slaying their parents in their lavish Beverly Hills home. Jose Menendez was a successful and wealthy executive for Carol Co. Pictures, Inc. Uh, when he was brutally murdered alongside his wife by his sons. Jose was born into an affluent family in Cuba, but fled America when Fidel Castro overthrew the government, where he lived in his cousin's attic. So he went from being like super wealthy, rich, to living in an attic above his cousin's house, fleeing for the safety of his, you know, his life. He worked hard and he attended SIU, uh, where he met his future wife, a fellow student and pa- beauty pageant winner, Kitty. So Kitty was stunning. And Mm -hmm. she had won a bunch of pageants. Um, By most accounts, Jose was a difficult man to get along with. He was described as arrogant, condescending, abrasive by those in his life. His son's teachers and coaches would say that he pushed his boys 
too hard. And literally nothing they ever did was good enough for him. We all know parents like that who are just like, they either live vicariously through their their kids or they just, they're just aggressive. He was also not a faithful husband. At the time of his murder, his relationship with his wife and, and sons had just irrevocably deteriorated. They, they didn't seem to like each other as a family, but they were still putting on like a really good front for the public. And as you'll see later on, their image was really important to them, at least to actually to all of them. This was something that was discussed voraciously at all three trials. And there were three trials for this. Mary Louise Kitty Anderson was three years older than her husband. She was born in a suburb of Chicago and and her family was upper middle class. Her father owned a successful HVAC company that provided very well for their family. She too dealt with upheaval in her youth, nowhere near as bad as what Jose went through, but her parents got divorced and her father like left the family and started a whole new life. Her mother worked for Midway Airport, which I just flew out of for the first time the other day, even though I grew up in Chicago. It was so weird. Which is on the south side of Chicago, and she supported Kitty and her three older siblings. So Kitty is one of four children. Her parents' decidedly pugnacious divorce caused Kitty to be withdrawn and depressed. She was very quiet. You know, she was beautiful, but just like she always had like emotional problems. She attended. She also attended SIU, and that's where she met Jose. After graduating with her BS in communications, the the couple eloped, and then they moved to the East Coast. So they were living in Jersey. Um, Kitty worked as a grade school teacher, and both of the couple's boys were born in New Jersey. So they were, you know, Midwestern. Well, he was Cuban. They moved to the Midwest, and then they were like East Coast, kind of waspish. And I think that's where they got sort of their like very much cared what people thought of them attitude. Kitty and Jose had a very tumultuous relationship basically from the start. Kitty was desperate and depressed. Her friends were very worried about her because she um, had turned to drug and alcohol use to like kind of combat that depression. And in 1987, she actually uh, made an attempt on her life. Mm. Yeah, it was really sad. So you could see like everything in this house was kind of like, even though they try to present themselves as this like, wealthy, austerious family, you know, they had all of this drama brewing inside of it, which is what I think leads credence to some of what the what um, the brothers are saying about what happened to them. She did recover and the family eventually moved to Beverly Hills, California. And this is, you know, where we all know them from like, and how they became infamous. Eric and Lyle Menendez never wanted for anything. They grew up in an incredibly wealthy neighborhood in Princeton. Um, in, when they were in New Jersey, and then they moved to Calabasas in California in 87 for Jose's work. In 1989, they ended up having to move again, though, to Beverly Hills after the boys were discovered burglarizing homes in the area. Talk about, like, rich kids trying to get attention, having, you know, nothing better to do with their time. Later, the prosecutor in the case, Pam uh, Bosnich, would say that they would literally back vans up to people's houses when they weren't home and just clear the whole house out, like take everything, anything that was valuable. And they knew what was valuable because they had valuable things in their house. One of Kitty's brothers had said that Jose uh, had told him that he was really mad about everything. Obviously, how mad would you be if you found out that your kids were burglarizing your neighbors and now you're like, you're embarrassed and you have to leave. So Jose actually paid for everything. He wrote a check to everyone that his kids burgled and then he told his brother-in-law that he was going to cut the boys out of his will, which everybody heard. So 
most people close to Jose and Kitty would confirm that they were concerned about their image. And it was incredibly likely that the boys' endeavors would have just, like, infuriated Jose. So they were kind of backing up what the brother-in-law was saying. Like, he would have said that. It doesn't surprise me that he said he was going to take the money away from them. And that is what the prosecution was saying was the motive, was the money. Just a few short months after the families moved to Beverly Hills, on August 20th, 1989, Eric and Lyle Menendez brutally shot their parents to death in the den of their mansion. The two days before the murder, the boys purchased shotguns in San Diego. They would claim during the trials that the weapons were for protection, but the prosecution would poke holes in that by pointing out that they had driven to another town. They had used fake names and fake IDs, and they had paid in cash for those guns trying to cover their tracks. That does not sound like self-protection. That sounds like they were premeditating a murder. During the trial, the boys uh, made their case by testifying that Jose had begun showing them pornographic videos and telling them about homosexual bonding rituals between soldiers in ancient Greece. You have to remember, this is in the 80s. It was like the height of like everybody just was like scared of AIDS and um, gay people. So using that as like a way to villainize their dad was something that they were trying to do. Um. And that he would talk about homosexual bonding rituals between soldiers in ancient Greece when Lyle was six and Eric was only three years old. The defense produced nude childhood snapshots of Lyle taken by his father. Now, I didn't look for or see these snapshots, but I know my mom took pictures of me like laying on a blanket when I was a baby with my butt. Like, I think every 80s baby had a picture like that of them. Um, but again, I never saw the pictures and they may have been horrible. So I don't know. I don't go looking for that kind of stuff <laughs> at all. So uh, Lyle recalled that his father would massage him after sports practices, and he would like ask his cousin if like the massages and like massaging his private areas, like if that was normal and if other dads did that. His cousin did back that up. Um, the rubdowns turned into forced oral sex, and Lyle would claim that his dad became. Uh, sexually assaulting him from the ages of seven to eight and then stopped but threatened to kill him if he ever told lyle even admitted to sexually assaulting his younger brother eric because that's how dad taught them to play and eric backed that up according to the brothers though when jose told him he would kill them as children that wasn't the last time jose would threaten their lives lyle testified that eric confessed to him that jose had not only been abusing him since he was a child but it was still going on and in early august before the murders they confronted their parents about this abuse according to them like this is all them according to the boys jose and kitty did not take the confrontation well and the boys felt like their plan their parents were planning to kill them like they're like i we confronted them they said that we made our choices and basically they were going to kill us if now Ironically, though, even though they feared for their lives, they were really scared that their parents were planning on killing them. The day before the murder, they went out on a chartered yacht with their parents to open sea and took lovely pictures while they went like deep sea fishing. Now, if I thought someone was going to kill me, the last place I would go is out to a, a boat in the open ocean. But that's just me. The... um. So the day of the of the murders, the boys went to the theater and purchased movie tickets to establish their alibi. They wanted to see Batman, 
But the movie was sold out, so instead they bought tickets to see License to Kill. Which, that's weird. Um, they then sneaked back into the house and shot first their father, then their mother, who had been sitting together watching TV eating strawberries. Lyle shooting his father when he came to see who entered the house, and Eric chasing Kitty down and shooting her multiple times in a torturous, painful death before shooting her in the face at point blank um, while she was on the ground already. The brothers claimed that this was all in self-defense, but they ambushed their parents, forensics proving that Kitty actually ran for her life and was shot while begging for her sons to spare her life. The bodies rendered unrecognizable by 15 rounds of bullets from two shotguns, which required the boys to go back out to their car for more rounds. The brothers were smart, and knowing their father's business reputation, they made sure both of their parents had been shot in the kneecaps, which immediately threw off investigators. You know, Lyle, uh, Jose wasn't very well-liked, and he had some shady business dealings. Um, yeah, they, they said that it was a mafia hit. They staged it very well. To, they wanted it to look like a mafia hit. Mm -hmm. Initially, the brothers were not suspected at all. The police thought the crime could have been a mob hit. Jose Menendez, a 45-year-old Cuban immigrant and self-named millionaire, had dealings throughout the film and music distribution industry, including a production interest in uh, Sylvester Stallone's Rambo movies. So he had like his hand in a lot of things. They also looked into business rivals, including a porn producer who had issues with Jose. Like he was doing everything, and some of it was like not above board. So it wasn't hard for the police to kind of think that maybe this was something to like send a message to people because it was a very violent thing that happened. Eric and Lyle reported their parents murdered and then they basked in the glow of the pity at the loss of their parents, these poor, poor orphaned boys. However, the pity they received was short-lived as the brothers absolutely blew through their parents' fortune or part a chunk of their parents' fortune in the half year after the murders. Over the course of six months, they allegedly spent half a million dollars which now is like over 1.5 million um, of, a, of, uh, of their parents' approximately $14 million estate. So their parents were worth $14 million when they died. The kids blew through like half a million of that. Um, that's about $30 million now, like comparatively mm -hmm. with the economy. That's a lot. Their parents had accumulated um, all this money over their years of hard work and the boys blew it on traveling parties shopping increasingly frivolous things while they were supposedly mourning the loss of their parents in a horrific double homicide you think that you'd be scared two people just shot your parents you don't know why but they're very actively out there like being celebrities basically going to basketball games lyle even purchased three rolex watches the day before his parents funeral in a 1996 interview, though, with Barbara Walters, Eric would say that they didn't really go on a spending spree and that everything they purchased was approved by their aunt and uncle who were in charge of the estate. However, these items were bought, so either relatives didn't care or the boys were lying about the money. Eventually, the pressure of keeping such a terrible secret cracked Eric, though. The night before Halloween in 1989, Eric called his therapist, Jerome Ozeal, claiming that he absolutely needed to speak to him. The doctor would testify that he sounded erratic and scared. Dr. Ozil also said that he felt um, that Eric was going to confess to the murders, and he, he felt like he saw it coming. According to the doctor, his fears were confirmed when after a long walk and a conversation about what a great man his father had been, Eric confessed to murdering his parents. 
The doctor asked Eric if Lyle knew he was going to confess, and Eric admitted that he didn't tell Lyle that he was going to do this. He didn't even know he was going to do it, and that Lyle would likely kill, kill him for telling. The doctor called Lyle and asked him to come to the office, and at first I was like, why would he do this? But he was this, – this doctor, just for the record, they went off He's on a scam. He's a crazy person. Crook, he recorded yeah. all their um, yeah. conversations and had his mistress listen in on it, who oh, was yeah. a snitch. Oh, yeah. It gets it. his wife. The whole thing is so weird. So let me, yeah. I just, you're not going to believe this next part. So he, he calls Lyle in, tells him that Eric confessed, tells him that he spoke to his like supervisor or, you know, someone he looks up to and he basically wrote down everything he knows put it in a safe and sent him the key and if anything happens to him the menendez brothers would be turned into the police like and he said it in a way that it was as if he was trying to protect himself but it sounded a little bit to me like he was going to try and extort them for something yeah um the doctor uh he had him come into the office and then he started meeting with the boys regularly and recording these sessions um, after the first session, when the confession happened, uh, he told his mistress, who was in the waiting room the whole time this whole thing was happening, that he was afraid for her, his wife, and his children. He called his wife and demanded that she take the kids and go visit family. So they packed up and left. He spoke with his supervisor, who told him, you know, allegedly, this is what he also told the boys, to told him to get himself to safety. He couldn't technically at this point turn them in, I don't think because it was like doctor patient privilege but i i always thought that like if someone confessed murder you had the like the obligation to turn them in i think that he got away with it because there was a clause in california where um if he feared his life he could divulge it at any time right but i also thought it, you had to divulge it if someone uh, confessed it's, a crime I, I don't think you. it's i would assume it's murder but it's also california back in the 80s but I know, like, child abuse is, like, an automatic have to report. Right. So he says that his mistress told him to record all the things because she was so worried about his safety. So he, um, the doctor and his mistress had an interesting relationship. I'm just going to slightly touch on that because he moved the mistress into his house with his wife and his children under the guise of, you know, protecting her. And I don't know if the wife was okay with this. They didn't really kind of talk about that. Or, and I didn't, but I'm, I would not be okay with Jeremy bringing his girlfriend over because everybody is now scared for their lives because he's recording tapes of murderers. The whole thing is just so bizarre. Um, when things didn't work out, shocking, it didn't work out having his mistress live in his house with his kids and his wife and they kicked her out. She went straight to the police with her story. Oh, um, the brothers were immediately arrested and initially they were tried separately um, but the case was like deadlocked and the jury, so that was two different trials. Each boy had their own trial, both ending in, uh, mistrials or deadlocked. They couldn't come to an agreement. Um, and it was because they presented the case that they were abused sexually and molested by their father and their mother not only knew, but also molested them. They said that their mom molested them as well. And that both parents were also mentally, emotionally, and physically abusive as well. These allegations were hotly protested by Kitty's brother. He called it insanity. He said it was not true that that never happened. The second trial saw the brothers being tried together rather than separately. So the first two trials were independent. The third trial was them together. 
Like the first hot, uh, trial, the tapes seized by police were a hot-button issue, with the defense claiming they were inadmissible, but the judge disagreed due to Lyle threatening the doctor's life. So the doctor's transcripts were allowed. They didn't actually play the tapes, but all of his transcripts were allowed. In none of the conversations Dr. Ozil had with Eric or Lyle did either brother ever even suggest or hint that their parents abused them in any way. Now, this is after they had confessed to killing him and the mother. And you, so you would think that during these tapes, they would be like, this is why we did it. But they never, ever said that they were molested. This, this didn't come to light until the trial, which to me seems very much like it's just made up. Um, lot, uh, there, other than they did say that Jose was like it had extremely high expectations and that their mother was really depressed and self-absorbed like basically she only cared about herself but she was severely depressed and her husband cheated on her and her kids were little thieving monsters so maybe she should be depressed I don't know the testimony of Dr. Ozell's former mistress was a shocking twist in the Menendez trial though her name was Judalon Smith and she had previously told authorities multiple different stories about what had happened. Mm-hmm. So she once told them that she overheard the brothers confessing to killing their parents. But at trial, she claimed Dr. Azul had brainwashed her. Like, she literally got on the stand and said she was brainwashed. Uh, it was Smith who turned the brothers into the police, but reportedly became bitter after they refused to charge Ozal. She wanted him charged. She went to the police to have him arrested and then ratted out the Menendez brothers at the same time. She claimed Ozell raped her and drugged her during their relationship. The jury even heard sordid recordings between them, like recordings of them talking to each other in like the grossest way. And this is this trial was an absolute circus, a circus. Further discrediting the brother's story was Eric's good friend, Craig Signorelli. Eric and Craig would write burner mysteries together. Eric once wrote a screenplay about a boy who killed his parents to collect insurance money. Um, and this is a direct quote from the court transcript from uh, Craig saying, as time went by, Eric took that screenplay and reworded it, the first four or five pages, to word exactly what happened at the scene of the crime. So people thought, well, maybe this was a precursor to who, what actually happened. So the murder mystery that he wrote verbatim followed what they then undertook at the house and killed their parents. Uh, Craig also claimed that Eric confessed to him as well. He was like, he told me he did it. So ultimately, the jury did not believe that this was an act of self-defense, and the brothers were found guilty. They were sentenced to life without parole. There are people who believe that the brothers are still active and are actively petitioning to get them released from jail. They are, over the 30 years that these guys have been in prison, they have gotten married, they have fans, they've had almost exhausted all of their appeals and still are not in jail. They did briefly get to see each other about 10 years ago and they've been on TV shows and like they did Dateline with Barbara Walter. So it's crazy. That's, and that's it. So they're still in jail and they're still trying to get out as far as I know. They're together, aren't they? I thought they yeah, were together. They're at Donovan. They're at the same time, but I don't think that they are able to spend time together. Or they like the first twenty years they weren't, and now maybe they can see each oh, other. Yeah, because I thought I read that they were like uh, sharing a room now. Like, yeah, yeah. So, but the, uh, the first ahead. the first twenty years it was like twenty two years they weren't allowed to be together, but now I guess they they are in jail together. You know, you made the comment about um, she was running for her life and whatnot, and 
um, this is Kitty, um, when Lyle and Eric entered, um, for me, as a mother, um, <clears throat> if my kids came to me and said that my dad was, their dad was essaying them in any form or fashion, we wouldn't be under the same roof. And I have, it's very hard because she's not here to defend herself. And I can only take what I have read and heard um, directly from Lyle. You know, there's a documentary from Lyle. There's a documentary from Eric, both replaying the whole day. And from what I can gather, it seems like she okayed it. And if that is the case, I can kind of see where they didn't didn't care and they didn't let up. I'm not saying it's right, but I can see the pain and I can see if your father or parent forced you to go orally on them or intercourse with them up into your 18 and you couldn't do anything like any other kids. You were literally confined to your room, confined to your house because you're controlled. I, I can see where that can help get to a point where you snap. I really do. Now, to that extent, I'm not saying that that's the right way to go about it. Um, obviously, Eric realized that afterwards. And, you know, he dealt with issues of suicide and wanting to end his life after doing it. And he confided in his doctor because he needed to. And that bit him in the butt later. And so it's hard. This is a really really rough case because if the evidence is true um there's tons of people who have said that he you know the father jose would touch them inappropriately at the pools in front of them um there was family members that would come over and were living with them and kitty would say don't go down the hall when jose follows the boys like there's things that really you have to look at it with an open mind because you can easily take one side over the other. But I do think that if these boys, men, brothers, whatever you want to call them, were victimized, I don't want to say that what they did was right because it's not. Um, but I don't know if they had any other option. I, you know, they kind of made it sound like they are very trapped and that they, if they weren't to go get help, they would die themselves, and I can totally understand that um, from a victim's point of view, for sure. So, I can see that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, and I don't know if you saw the interview with the yacht owner um, the day, that night that they did it. He recently just did an interview. Um, he said that there was so much tension between that family in that they, he's like, the boys were on the on the front of the boat, just hanging out, and Kitty was pissed that there were so many people on the boat, and that she was just mad with Jose, and the boys had a feeling that they were going to die, but they wanted to die together, and right. so that's why they went, and, you know, when they got home, and, you know, she, they basically, they lived that night, it was kind of like, okay, we'll have another day, but they got in a huge fight, and that was it, that was their opportunity, and I don't, I will never, ever, ever say murder is the answer because murder is not the answer. But these boys, if it is correct by what has been said by multiple people, the life they lived was not anything glorious. 
even though they lived in Beaverton, in Beverly Hills, Beaverton Hills, that's where I used to live, um, Beverly Hills in Calabasas. It just, it's really hard to, to know the truth. I'm intrigued to think what you, what you, how you see it. Cause I think that Sarah and I both have like read it and I'm, I'm under the uh, feeling that if that was true, if that was really what was happening after they like unloaded what they had done, they told their doctor that they had killed their parents. Right. Why wouldn't they tell him also everything that had happened? If they felt like if Eric right. could feel comfortable enough to tell his I doctor. Eric did earlier yeah, so, on. So I, I, would, I wouldn't say that like I, I don't think I'm justifying what they did, right? Because like Sarah said, it's not justifiable to take someone's life. But you have to look at the time period, right? You're talking about the 80s um, and what's going on there, right? So it's a lot different than it is now. There was no uh, victim advocates. There was no outlet for them to talk to anyone. There was no 1-800 number for them to call. There was nothing for them. So if that was going on their whole lives, you know, they're a victim to this abuse their whole lives. And now we know with things like that, those people are trapped. You know what I mean? Sure. They have nowhere to go. And then, um, like Sarah said, like the boys have said, the men have said that, you know, they felt like if this got out that their father was going to kill them. And that up until that point where they did murder their parents, I guess the one brother, Lyle, did have outbursts against his father. So that even put more fear into them. The thing that I thought was interesting with the documentary with Eric was that uh, the amount of people that the father worked with that were basically like, yeah, if anyone was going to get fucking killed, it was him. Like, and like, they didn't think anything of it. Like, well, yeah, he was an asshole. Like, not that he deserved it, but it wasn't a surprise that someone killed him, let alone his own kids. And I, and the other part is like, even if the defense was saying that the boys did this and it was premeditated, um, you know, basically saying there's no excuse and that their story of being abused didn't matter. Uh, they they weren't really trying to get away with anything either. You know what I mean? Yes, they they went to the movies, they bought the ticket, and they did that. But that was after the fact. Like they were they did what they did. They waited on the cops. The cops didn't come. So then that gave them an opportunity to corroborate a story and try to look for a way out. But I think it's just that's what makes it tough. Is you look at the time period that this happened. If this happened now, then there would be a huge emphasis on what was going on with the father and the mother and why nothing was done. Um, I, I mean, do you think that they would be walking right now if it was if it was oh, nowadays? Yeah, if it was nowadays, I think it'd be it'd more than likely be like a manslaughter charge, um, just because you know there like you said, there's family members that testified. And there was like 145 happened. family members that testified. Yeah, right. they. I mean, I'm actually, kind of shocked that they haven't reopened the case here, um, meaning like now. So. Yeah, I so and. And what I read was that they did not tell the doctor about the right. thing. Yes, but yes, you know, thinking yeah. back about it, um, if he told them that they were recording, being recorded, and they also thought that the, he wasn't going to turn them in, there's a decent chance that they didn't want to tell what happened well, to them. Right, and I'm sure they didn't want people to know that they're getting abused by their father either. Right, because again, there was that time period. It was a stigma. It wasn't just right. like you're we're be them coming well, forward at that time and saying that like publicly happened to them was something that people didn't talk about they right. didn't i know that eric got a lot of spit um for um his smiling in the courtroom and people thought that he was full of crap 
and like just full of himself mainly because he was all put on drugs um he went and finally got the help he needed and went through the eval and they put him on xanax they put him on all these drugs that were like making him smile and it wasn't a smirk of like hmm we got away with it or hmm we killed our parents it was i'm so lost and you can tell in his eyes like he's not there you and and it just it's heartbreaking because we nitpick things so much we take things out of context so much and then we blow it up and then what it's not true but yet you the damage is done right and i think that's just i'm not going to say it cuz but i mean in some sense people were saying that it was another form of victimizing them by putting them in jail well putting them on drugs and then putting them on trial and then yep. putting them in jail I, I like to be clear I am unsure how I feel. Me too. I am unsure whether I feel because when you have the relatives corroborating it, him yep. admitting that he, you know, harmed his brother um because that's how he was taught by his dad. And like you said, uh the the um just in general the admitting that this had happened to me was in the, in that day and age was pretty uh intense. So yeah, it's tough. So like part of part of my job, I do like a lot of investigations and a lot of times when things seem clear cut, they're not, you know, there's always, always two sides to every story. Um, and you have to really look at the facts of everything. I, the other thing I thought that was interesting was that the defense made such a big deal and you mentioned it too, of them spending the money, but then so many people said, well, no, that that's how they live their lives, spending right, the money right. like that and doing those things. So that, that mm-hmm. was like, ridiculous for the defense to bring that up because people are like no they're rich like super rich people that's how they spend their money and do things like i think it was i think it was because they were super rich but that was even excessive for and i think it was like lyle who did like 323 like thousand dollars himself and eric only spent nine thousand which is what he would spend in that time period is what was shown in the court documents well, Lyle well, had a lot of anger, so that they're under a microscope too, right? I mean, right. their parents just died, so the whole world's watching them to see what yeah. they're doing, and they're just living their lives. But yeah, the, and the medication thing sucks too because back then, uh, I mean, they still do it now, but back then it was more of like a a numbing thing, not to help yep. them with their mental capacity, it was to just make them numb to the world. So that yeah, so but yeah, it's tough. There's a lot, there's a lot to dig through and a lot to go through. I'm just, I'm always fascinated that uh, they're like cult heroes kind of at this point, you know, they're they're in a lot of pop culture stuff. Um, So speaking of pop culture, the, this is why we're talking about this today on this mm -hmm. podcast, this card. So if you look, they're right there. They are right where my finger is right here. That is. The Menendez brothers courtside at the Knicks game, wasn't it? Yeah, um, in Madison Square Garden. And this is a Mark Jackson card. Now they were not discovered on this card in like until 2018. Yeah, they oh, did not. Really? Yeah, they nobody knew that was up. And then, and then Lyle, Lyle confirmed that it was them. Eric denies it. Eric denies that that was them. He said, nope, that's not us. Lyle's like, it absolutely was us. So um, anytime that I post anything about this card, 
at all. And I and I show it. I have at least a dozen people comment on either my TikTok, my Twitter, my Instagram, that that is not, in fact, them. But one brother confirmed that it was, and one brother says that it is not. And to me, it looks like them. So, but that is that is why we're talking about that case today, because this card would be worth five cents mm-hmm. and it was worth nothing at the yeah in the peak of like 2020 when all the cards went up and through the roof this card went up a psa 10 of this card would sell for like 500 dollars, which is insane to me because you can find them everywhere i think i i think i paid in in 2020 when i picked this one up i paid like 12 dollars for it which i i feel like is super high for this card now but um it does look like them. Like I, I've looked at it really close. But if you look at the timeline and everything, I don't understand how it could be, because Lyle stayed around in that area, a bit then California, and Eric left and went to um, was it Turkey or something like that? Yeah, with his tennis, tennis, tennis coach. Yeah, to play tennis, right? And so it's kind of like how, how, but I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying how. And right. also, when it comes to the money, it I was told that, um, like, their parents, like, life insurance or any of the money that the parents had was put on hold pending yep. um, the outcome if they found a murderer or not. And so I'm guessing when you're saying spending, they're just spending what was in the bank account already that they had access to. And what the heck is – sorry, there's something outside – um and not necessarily i live in montana i'm sorry things scare me um Maybe I would, living in montana scare me scare too. Me. <laughs> um it's just the the cat next door i think but okay. i just saw in the corner of my eye move um and so it's kind of just like one of those things where you're just like i don't think it was money i'm sorry i don't think that was a motive um not the way they killed their parents no. no, that was really a violent, but if they're trying to stay, like, I can, here's the thing is, I can, I can say it either way. I can be like, if they were yeah. trying to stage this death to make it look like a mob hit, something gruesome to like throw the, like the suspicion off of them, you know, I can see why they did it the way they did. And it was smart. They bought the gun somewhere else. They did all this stuff. But to, that like, makes sense too. It, going with a fake ID and getting a gun. It makes sense because if everybody knew their dad, if they went and bought a gun under their ID, how hard would it be for somebody to be like, hey, guess what? Lyle just came in today, bought a shotgun, and that right. would tip their dad off. So having a fake ID, that totally makes sense to me. Not well, saying for me, like, it, I'm not but... saying that you're wrong, but you could go to another town and buy a gun with your own ID, and they're not going to... Like you're, if I mean, you're using it for protection, your dad's not going to know about it. Like he doesn't know. Are you in the '80s? You probably didn't even need an ID to go. By yeah. On. So they were intentionally covering their tracks with the purchase of the gun. That's that's the part that bothers me. That's one thing because that feels way more premeditated than I was scared and I just did this. So that's that that part always bothered me. And but did you know that Lyle used to poop in his room? He says. I mean, like a lot of this stuff is stuff that they have said too. Yeah. And so True. you're 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 listening to somebody who said, "I did this crazy thing to make themselves look traumatized." And I'm not saying that they're not, and that they didn't do this. I'm just saying. Some but if they were traumatized, like that, that's kind sure. of that's kind of extreme. It's you weird. know, if it is well, true. 
you know. Well, you know, it goes back to like uh, the finding of facts, right, of everything, right? So like you're getting, we're getting into like what caused them to do it. Yeah. But the, I think a lot of times you have to remember like the laws don't care about what caused Correct. them to do it, right? So it's like the finding of fact is like, hey, did you two, the Menendez brothers, buy the guns? Yes, fact. Did you two kill your parents that night and shoot them 15 times? Yes, fact. Do we care what the reason is? Kind of not really. Like, was it self-defense in that moment? No, definitely was not self-defense to spring on both your parents and shoot them. So if you look at it from that point of view, it's like, you know, especially in the 80s, like we said, the defense was like, yeah, we don't really care what your rhyme or reason was. We just know that you guys both killed your parents. And I mean, now you can reasonably look at it and say, you know, if these were two horribly traumatized young people you can even look at like the burglarizing as them acting out out of like the trauma that they were sustaining oh but you could also look at it as two spoiled rich kids who think that they can get away with everything and who didn't have trauma and i wish that we had more up to date like like information about this case And, and i'm not saying from them i mean like like i would like more of an interview with those family members like i wouldn't want to like really sit down and be like hey Spill your guts. Like, I really want to know why. Because, obviously, Kitty and Jose are not here to defend themselves. And at the end of the day, they are also victims in this case, just right. as much as the brothers are. Um, yeah, but if you assume of, that they didn't they did. actually do anything wrong other than Correct. be, like, dickheads, you know? If they were, they're, just, they're like, just, if they were just, like, shitty 80s parents who cared yeah. more about themselves right. than their kids, yeah. then they are really, really, they were double victimized by their, by their children saying all this horrible stuff about them. That wasn't true if it wasn't. And if all of that stuff, that's the other thing that really bothered me. And maybe it is again, a sign of the times, because I would like to think that as a, a human being, if I was at a pool with my brother or my sister or my cousin, and I saw them inappropriately touching a child, yeah. It wouldn't. It wouldn't take it until that child was twenty-two, the and then shot somebody to death. To say so, but he also threatened the cousins, and those same cousins were the ones that were in the pool. So I mean, it's it's just it's really hard without having them. I mean, that they're the key piece in this of like being able to like, can we get a medium or something involved? This can we, <laughs> you know, like hypnotize yeah. them? Like I want to know the truth. Like. That's how well, I am. Maybe that's why they killed their mom too, you know, because then there's no one else to cooperate or disapprove. The abuse. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, Lyle said that his mom would have her touch him, like her touch him, touch her all over. Now, hmm. I just like that seems kind of weird. That like, does that, seem weird. Yeah, I could see her being indifferent because she doesn't want to mess up her lifestyle. But him going as far as saying, oh, she, I, you know, we had sexual contact with our mom too. That, and that didn't also did not, nobody said anything about the mom, mm. the cousin, Correct. any right. of the interviews, right. none of that ever got brought up. And then all of a sudden in the trial, he was saying that he would lay in bed with his mom and she would make him touch her. So I don't think so. I see that part, I don't believe. So it's kind of like people have secrets that you just don't know about. For sure. And, I would never say anything bad about anybody unless it was true. And so, like, for me, it's really hard to believe that his mom also did it. I believe that maybe his mom was aware of it. But at the same time, what do you do? What I mean, what is she going to do? She's probably afraid of him, too, if that was the case. Right. Well, obviously, yeah. 
I don't I agree, know. But that, but, but that's the thing is, I agree with you. I don't think. Oh, I know. She did it, but that it bothers me that they said that she did. Yep. Because that makes it feel it's not right. Yeah, like that no. make that bothers. Yeah. That part bothered me too. There's so much of this case that is just you just never you know. just have to listen to what they're saying. Right. And how many times could you be at a you know like 140 people? 140 people saw him act inappropriately. I don't know. Wrote, that pisses me off. But what if they didn't? What if they just? It, it was a media circus. What if they just right. wanted to be on the trial? What if how they did they have to, a? Right, how did right. they have an unbiased jury? Is what I would like to know. They didn't. No. Yeah. Like, it, uh, there's so much. Think about like all the people that call in tips to hotlines that never saw a person or weren't even like like they had nothing to do with it that happens all the time so these 140 yeah. yeah these 140 people i i could argue that maybe a lot of them didn't see anything or they saw him hug him and they're like oh yeah that was creepy well even eric was like i don't remember these people eric even said that and they're testifying on their behalf yes right. and they were also drugged so maybe he did he should remember them but right. now he's drugged and he doesn't so I, you're right. They should reopen this trial just for the simple fact that it was done in a time where it probably wasn't handled the way that it should have been handled in general. Regardless of whether you think they did it or you think they didn't do it, I just don't think that the trial was probably appropriate. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a question of whether they did it or not because they did it. I right. think it's a yeah. question of what their defense what they did. Yeah. Right. Whether or not they deserve to be in jail. Right, right, right. For all of this time. Like, right. So, yeah, because there is a greater emphasis on the why or what happened, you know, yeah. nowadays compared to then, you know. So, um, but yeah, it's it's horrible on all accounts. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the thing as an adult, like when you're a kid, um, you think that, man, my family is dysfunctional. But then when you become an adult, you find out everyone's family is dysfunctional. You know what I mean? So, like, right, you know right. what was going on in their house behind closed door. Uh, the one thing that was evident on everything you see or hear or read is that they were very worried about their status, their social status, and what people thought of them. So, behind closed doors, you know, anything could have could have been happening or going on. And that that's what makes it tough. Like, yeah, it seems like the brothers were reaching, right, for their trial. Of course, they're on trial for murder of their parents, but you just don't know. And, and you know, and the mom wasn't, obviously, maybe she wasn't strong enough or she cared too much about appearances and things because, you know, it was clear that the husband had been cheating on her and she never left, right? So right, why didn't right. she leave? Like, was she also trapped? Oh, she was suicidal. Kid? She tried to kill herself. Exactly. So you just, you never know. Um, and that's what makes these things so tough. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's also why victims don't come forward right. is because, you know, nowadays I feel like there is more of a voice for victims than there was yeah. back then for sure. And I think that, um, you know, not being able to have your voice or have your voice, but not be able to have it heard. It but kind people of don't believe you. Right. Well, especially being men. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing. Even today, it's still a big issue with victims and men. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because it's a pride thing sometimes. It's a, they don't want to look like a weaker person. And it's not. Well, right. no. And then even with this, someone, uh, someone testified, one of the experts said that men can't be sexually abused. Right. Um, that alone should get the trial thrown out. Right. Yeah, I agree. Because actually, they can. They're, they're just as much of victims as women are. Yeah. Well, and, 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 
at the time of the abuse, we're not even talking about men, right? We're talking about boys. Yeah. I mean, they were adults when they committed the crime, but they were children when the abuse allegedly happened. And I say allegedly because I don't know. Right. But I just, this case is difficult. It is difficult. And the, you know, the older I get, because I remember when you were young, you hear, like, I remember hearing about it and you only hear the, like, oh, they lied about their parents abusing them and, and they went to jail. And then you like, you really learn about it. You listen to them testify. And while I still think some of like the stuff that happened makes it, it questionable and it makes it hard for me to be a hundred percent. Like, yes, they definitely were abused and they did this out of abuse. It really is like a, is there enough reasonable doubt for me to think that maybe they were? Yes, there absolutely is. Have they served 30 years in prison for something that if they were abused, maybe they shouldn't have spent that much time in jail. Right. You know, maybe. Yeah, you know, and I think that's where it comes down to, like, maybe it should have been manslaughter over uh, yeah. just straight murder. But yeah. it's all we can do is wait and see at this point. Yeah, and I think they're very close to exhausting all of their appeals. appeals. But I did hear that this year somebody has to uh, somebody has come on and said that they're going to try and reopen the trial. So Wait, if isn't we, there the, no more death penalty? Are they in live life? Don't they? Yeah, they like, they're trying. Okay. To, they're trying to reopen it. But I think this is a good spot to end. And if we end up with more information, we can do an update on this. That'd be awesome. I did hear that they were trying to reopen the trial again in 2023, they and it should. is it is the year of Michael Jordan 2023, and anything can happen. So. Thank you for joining us, Don. Thanks for having me. I I, I thought this was good. I know um, a lot of people think that it should be reopened. Uh, My 17-year-old daughter included. She's, like, obsessed with the whole thing. So that's why I wanted to come on. I I really appreciate you guys having me on. I'm sorry. I I have to to run, you know. But uh, it was good. I I really like this, actually. I think it's cool (laughs) that you guys are doing this. Well, you have to come on another case. You have to pick one, another one you like, and we can. Not do it the again. Menendez brothers, please. <laughs> no, this is traumatic. <laughs> so. A little much. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. Well, we will keep you all updated. Thank you for joining us. And if you liked this, please like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, everything. You can follow Don at Breaking Wax. I will link his stuff in the show notes so you can follow him. Thank He's you. awesome. If you like sports cards, definitely give him a follow. Definitely. Um, And until next time, stay safe out there, guys. Yes. Bye.